Welcome to episode 10 of How Public Works. This is a podcast about how government and society interact and where you as a citizen can be informed and find a place where you can engage and transform our society together. I'm your host, Ilmar Simonovskis. Today we're talking with Mariko Uda. Mariko is an environmental educator with a PhD in civil engineering. She recently published a book called Where Does It All Come From? Where Does It All Go? which describes Toronto's water, energy and waste systems and is geared to young children. Her background is in biology, chemistry, civil engineering and architecture and she has a strong focus on contributing to building sustainable and resilient communities. Welcome, Mariko. Thank you, Omar. I'm really happy to be here. Thank you. So let's start by having you tell us who you are and how you got to this place in your life. Okay, well, um, I was born in Toronto and I've always been in the GTA. Um, and I guess I got interested in environmental issues back in high school. And I actually went to one of the first climate global climate conferences, which was in Toronto in 1988. I was a teenager and it was called a uh, Toronto Conference of the Changing Atmosphere. And there were like 300 scientists or policy advisors or policymakers from like 46 countries. And uh, yeah, in high school, I was really into environmental issues. So like you said, I studied biology and chemistry and civil engineering and architecture. And uh, everything I studied was kind of geared towards, okay, what can I do to help the environment? And what do I need to know to do, to, to do the stuff that I want to do? So that's how I kind of assembled these different degrees that I took. And uh, my parents were like, what are you doing now? What do you, you know, now you're switching to that or this. And then finally, when I did my civil engineering PhD, it all kind of came together because I did my PhD thesis on how to design sustainable and resilient neighborhoods and cities. And uh, yeah, it involved some, not a lot, but some biology and chemistry, like some of that background helped and you know, my civil engineering and architecture. So it all kind of came together in the end. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. And, yeah. Well, and it's amazing too, as you go through a, a journey of study, when you, you know, start learning one area and then all of a sudden realize, well, wait, there's a piece here that I'm interested in that's not coming through this program. So let me see where I can get that information. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I kind of assembled my education in that way. And uh, yeah, I'm, I don't regret studying any of it. It all kind of helped. Um, and so it kind of brought me to where I am today. So, Mariko, I found a quote of yours that goes like this. Once we know how we're connected, then we can be mindful of our connections and then mindful of our actions and our impacts and our interactions. So can you tell us more about this quote and what it means to you and how you came about to think that way? Yeah, so, um, well, my my book that you mentioned that in the intro, where does it all come from? Where does it all go? It's all about uh, finding out where, yeah, our water is coming from, where our sewage goes when we flush the toilet, and and getting to know exactly where it's coming from and where it's going, because um, 
I feel in the city, we're so disconnected. So we just turn on our tap or we flush our toilet or we throw things in the garbage and we just think, oh, it's going away somewhere um, to some vague place. So we've kind of lost that relationship. Whereas um, sometimes when you go camping or maybe a long time ago or in some other land, people were more connected to uh, their environment. So they knew where their water was coming from and you know where their garbage was going. And um, so I feel we've lost that connection quite a bit in our modern cities. So um, I want to help reconnect um, us back to our environment. And I think it's important um, to make that connection because then then you're part of the environment and you're connected. So I think it has like a, a emotional, psychological kind of benefit to know how you're connected and that you're part of a bigger whole. Mm. Um, so, um, so I think I was in that quote, I was just talking about that connection and being aware of that connection and treating it more like a relationship. So you can have a relationship with where your water is coming from. So, and what do you find when you, when you see people creating or, or gaining more awareness of that connection to the environment? What do you see in how their behaviors change? Um, well, I don't know for other people, but I know for me, like uh, in the book, I suggest like, okay, so in Toronto, our water comes from Lake Ontario mm -hmm. and it travels, uh, you know, first it gets treated and then it goes through pumping stations and it has to be pumped all the way up to your tap. So it involves actually not just water, but also energy. And so it's coming to your tap. And then when we turn on our tap, a lot of us just treat it as water, like a commodity. Right. Um, H2O. But it's actually the lake. And so uh, in my book, I suggest to the kids or even adults, uh, that you could put a sign by your tap saying this water is from is Lake Ontario. Right. And then, you know, when you turn on your tap, if you look at your sign, you're like, oh, this is the lake. And it's funny because um, before I was thinking, oh, you know, the lake, the lake is something to look at and it's far away. And I visit it maybe a few times a year when I go to Harborfront. <laughs> and other than that, I don't have a connection to it. But actually... You know, so I asked the kids, oh, so when's the last time you were at the lake or close to the lake or, you know, and they say, oh, we visited two months ago or whatever. But then I kind of say, well, what, what did you wash your hands today or did you wash your face or did you take a shower? Because actually, or did you drink, drink tap water? Because actually Lake Ontario came to you. And, and if you're drinking it, and we're 60% water, right? Then we're actually Lake Ontario. And what's the response to that kind of uh, information for the, for the younger ones? Yeah, I think, I think they, they like it. Um, yeah, I think, I think they get it. And sometimes young kids, you know, they get these kinds of things easy, easily. But yeah, for me, when I turn on my tap and I see my sign and I remember, then it kind of connects me to, my, to the lake, you know? And I feel like how I feel like when I go camping or something and I'm in the river and I put the water on my face and I feel that connection. I yeah. can feel that connection even though I'm 
at home in my apartment in Toronto, like that live um, kind of spiritual connection to water you can make if you're aware that, hey, this water is coming from the lake and is Lake Ontario and Lake Ontario is nourishing me, then it's like, you can make that connection if you, you know, put a sign up and remember, and then, and then you could treat it like that river water or that lake water, and and you can build that spiritual kind of connection. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense, and and just having a different frame of mind can definitely, you know, influence how you how you use it too. I'm sure, right? Right. So then it's like, oh, you know, it took a lot of energy to get to my place. Maybe I won't use as much or maybe I, you know, show some appreciation or whatever. So tell us more about the book, you know, how the book, how the idea of the book came about. And you talked to, you've talked about the importance of, of the connection to our environment and why a book? What, what inspired you to do that and how did that all come about and, and how's it going for you? Right. Well, um, it was back when I was doing my civil engineering undergrad that I started thinking about the book because, you know, I learned about wastewater systems and water systems and so on uh, in my civil engineering degree. And I thought, well, this is cool stuff. And uh, I guess I just started to wonder about, you know, where where our water comes from, you know, where our garbage goes, where our electricity comes from. Um, I also worked at Ontario Power Generation for five years, so I knew about our electricity system. Mm. So I just thought this is really basic information and, you know, we should all know this. And uh, so then I started doing, I started thinking about it and then I started doing technical presentations like PowerPoint presentations and uh, doing it at different uh, uh in, in different uh, venues and you know I did a presentation at the university I did a presentation at Green Neighbors 21 which is a neighborhood environmental group I'm involved with mm -hmm. and uh, so those were more like powerpoints for adults um, but then I thought I want to write a book so that people have this information in a book and they can refer to it and then it kind of um, I started working on it last year because i'd been thinking about this since my undergrad which was like 16 years ago <laughs> and, and i hadn't written it and it was always on my mind and last year i was like okay this is the year i'm gonna write it and uh i just i just became very determined to write it and so it was may of 2019 and i had a dream of being at word on the street in the fall so i booked a table there and then I started writing the book. <laughs> wow. Commitment. Yeah. Um, so then all summer last year, I was writing the book. Um, I took a course in cartooning to learn how to uh, cartoon. So the entire book has been prepared by yourself. Yeah. I did all the illustrations. Um, when I was little, I, I loved to draw and I was drawing all the time. But then I, I, ended, I ended up studying, you know, all very technical uh, degrees but uh, yeah I always loved art but I never really had a chance to do it so this was a chance to to do art and so I had nice. a lot of fun with it learn like uh, getting some instruction in cartooning and so then yeah during the summer I was uh, I I was drawing I was writing I was simplifying because I was trying to take all this technical information and make it very simple 
Yeah. Um, because I think a lot of times, you know, a lot of this information is out there and you can find it, but you have to do your own digging. A lot of it's on the city website and so on, but you can get lost in all the details. And, and so I just really wanted to make a very simple book that covers the very basics of where things come from and where things go so that someone can read it in not too long a time. Like an adult could read it in half an hour probably and, and then figure it all out. But anyways. So what did you, because you went through that process of, you know, writing it, preparing it, illustrating it yourself and publishing yourself. So what can you share about that experience? I mean, that's, you know, take something to say, okay, I'm going to do this project. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you thought about it for 15 years when you actually mm-hmm. decided to do it. So how was that? What what did you learn in that process? Oh, yeah. Um, well, I learned a lot about um, illustration and um, creating a book. Yeah, it, it was more fun than anything. Okay. Um, but the big lesson I learned is that writing the book is only half the work. Um, when I finished the book, so I finished the book like, I, and I got it printed two days before Word on the Street. Okay. <laughs> and I got it done. And I thought, okay, I'm done. But then because I'm a self-publisher, uh, I have to do all the um, promotion and, yeah. you know, getting the word out there. And I didn't realize how much work that that was. Right. I thought writing the book would be 90% of the work and the rest was 10% of the work. But it's more... 50-50. That's good to share because, I mean, those that feel they have a book in them, depending on what you want to do with it, there's a lot of effort in there it takes. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But I'm enjoying getting the word out about it because I've always wanted to do kind of entrepreneurial stuff too. So um, I'm having fun with it. I'm, you know, I've I've been at farmer's markets and I've been talking to people. And so I'm really enjoying interacting with the people. And uh, I have it in two stores, so I learned how to, you know, make a consignment agreement and, you know, approach stores. Which, can I ask you, which stores you have the book available through? Yeah, I'd be happy to share. So um, there's one store in the, on St. Clair near Christie called Eco Existence. Okay. And they sell all environmental kind of products, so home products that are environmentally designed. Um, and uh, so that's a great store. So I I know the owner uh, because it's in my neighborhood. And so she's been very uh, wonderful and she has my book in stock. And as well, there's a store in the East End called Old School General Store. And it's a very cool store. It's like a corner store. Um, so it has a lot of things you need for the home and uh, like food and stuff and coffee and tea and snacks. But they also have a huge book uh, collection there. Right. Yeah. And uh, they sell, they're, they're very much into the community. So um, they're very involved with what's going on in their community. They're very connected to their customers. And I actually did a talk there uh, with, with my book. And, and then they've sold quite a bit number of my books 
Nice. Um, so those are the two stores that it's in. Mm-hmm. And and that'll continue to grow as you continue your promotion program, right? I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> now you mentioned some volunteer activity, and and I I noticed uh, also that you're participating in a group called Transition Toronto. Um, can you talk a little bit about your volunteer activities and you know how you continue to engage in the community around sustainability? Hmm. So uh, the group I've been most involved with is um, actually Green Neighbors 21. Okay. And Green Neighbors 21 uh, is a group in the St. Clair, Christie, Bathurst kind of area. Um, it's the old Ward 21 before the wards were kind of combined. So um, it was a group that was started... Uh, over 10 years ago and it's a neighborhood environmental group and it was one of the first neighborhood environmental groups in Toronto Um, there might have been one or two before that but what draw me drew me to it was that it was a neighborhood environmental group which meant that I would get to know my neighbors and be able to work in my neighborhood and so so yeah, I've joined that group, and with that group, I've done a number of things. And um, one was a green map of our ward, and so I saw that, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so we did that. Oh, uh, I think it was maybe six or seven years ago. And um, the impetus for that was like, uh, well, I was thinking, you know, in order to make improvements or transformations in our neighborhood we first have to know know our neighborhood mm-hmm. yeah. so i thought let's do a map um and i worked on this with um four other people so there was a map team and we all worked on it together and uh it was the first green map done of award in toronto wow, wow. and uh so we had to kind of design what a green map of award would be (laughs) and what we would include and what we would not include and what icons we would use and and stuff like that and so uh it was a really interesting project um we we mapped the lost rivers uh we mapped the lake iroquois shoreline because a lot Mm. of people don't know about the lake iroquois shoreline yeah, well, it's and it's quite amazing when you think about it, right? Because a lot of these features become, you know, um, obliterated by by the road network and by the built and designed parks and and subdivisions. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so did you? What did you learn in that journey of creating that map? I mean, what what kind of came to you that went, wow, this is, you know, this is really interesting, or this is very, you know, interesting as to see what's happened over the over the decades. Uh-huh. Well, what's really interesting is when you work on a map, you learn a lot about your neighborhood. Uh, For instance, I was looking at at other maps in order to make our maps. So I was looking at, you know, some city maps. And I was looking at Cedarvale Ravine, which runs through the old Ward 21. And uh, I saw this red line going along the ravine. I was like, what is that? And then I realized it's the TTC. And I was like, wow, you know, sometimes you just don't clue in. 
But yeah. yeah, the subway is running under Cedarvale Ravine from St. Clair West subway station down to or up to Eglinton West. And and it totally makes sense, but I didn't realize it unless until I was working on the map and I started discovering things. Yeah. So ma map making is a, a great way to discover things in your neighborhood. And it sounds like in that process, you know, uncovering and how do you how do you share it? And, you know, once that map was prepared and produced, how do you share it? How do you um, help others benefit from that, you know, from that creation? All right. So um, so every year, uh, Green Neighbors 21 with Transition Toronto, which is another group in Toronto, uh, ha ha hosts uh, Eco Fair at the Barns, which is the Witchwood Barns, which is in the St. Clair Christie area. Okay. So uh, I think this year will be the 11th year. And so it's a huge Eco Fair that's held usually in like November. And uh, we have many NGOs there, many community groups, and uh, some eco businesses, and it's a huge, um, huge uh, one-day event. Um, so at that event, we, yeah, we gave, we gave, we give out our, we gave out our green map. Okay. So we've been giving it out to the community, and now we're down to like I, I don't know, we have less than. Less than 30 left, I think. Um, so they're limited editions now. But, um, oh, the other thing I learned about map making is um, the whole design of the folding of the map is like a whole art. <laughs> because we thought, oh, we're done. We have the front of the map and the back of the map. But then it was like, oh, how are we going to fold it? And how are we going to fold it in a nice way? that the things that show up on the outside are the things we want to show up on the outside. So it was kind of like doing origami, you know, it was like, uh, <laughs> so, so there's a whole art to the folding of the map. And I just love maps and I love that process of designing, of helping, and, you know, together, the five of us, we were, you know, trying to mm -hmm. design this map. Um, but yeah, who ended up, uh, one group that ends up using our map a lot is um, Friends of Cedarvale because the Cedarvale Ravine is it ran right through the old Ward 21, so it's kind of central <laughs> on our map. Nice. And so the Friends of Cedarvale people they they like our map too. So yeah. So I want to ask you a question around. And more a more broader perspective around resilience and sustainability. You know, you 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 have an engineering background, and you have architecture and some science. I mean, a very very diverse mix of of um, of training, education, experience, and and so just in a community setting, what does resilience and sustainability mean to you? And what, you know, the priority of it, and how that might apply, say, to the Toronto downtown as a very urban center and maybe you know your opinions on how it might apply say in more rural settings if 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 there's some transferability around some of the facts and factors around resilience and sustainability so yeah um, my phd was on how to design sustainable and resilient neighborhoods and uh, cities and so i the way i define sustainability is um Sustainability is whatever we can do to make things, you know, 
environmentally friendly, basically, and uh, taking into consideration the environment. Okay. Um, and then resilience, I defined as the ability to bounce back from uh, future shocks and stresses. Okay. Negative impacts of future shocks and stresses. Uh, and resilience is now used a lot. It's like a buzzword for, because we're dealing with a lot of changes, um, especially climate change. Uh, so, so that's kind of how I, I define sustainability and resilience. Um, there's different people might, uh, define them in different ways, but yeah, that's kind of what I decided to, um, use as my definitions. And, uh, in terms of urban sustainability resilience, yeah, there's, there's so many things that we can do. Um, and in rural also, I mean, there are different uh, situations. And uh, so you have to look at them in different ways, of course. But um, So some examples of, uh, of sustainability and resilience findings that you concluded in your, in your thesis, Mariko. Um, well, in my thesis, let's see. Um, yeah, for sustainability and resilience. Uh, well, okay. What I did for my PhD, uh, the, the third part of my PhD, was I looked into resilient design strategies, which I, you might find interesting. It's um, Because as engineers, we kind of have been designing things to be efficient and economical and high performing right. and we tend to find that one solution that seems to work uh, on these three criteria and then replicate it everywhere right and so we have a lot of our cities doing the same sort of thing and so I was interested in okay what are design criteria we can use to be resilient and so I looked at things like, for instance, diversity. Diversity is important for resilience. So you've probably heard about monoculture versus more diversified agriculture. So, you know, if you just, if you just have a field with one type of vegetation yeah. and then some storm comes or some pest comes and it could wipe it all out. Whereas if you had, you know, a variety of plants, then when a storm or when some pest came, maybe some of them would be affected, but not all of them. Right. So diversity is important. Um, and so this is uh, explaining it in terms of agriculture, but also in terms of city design. Like if we have a diverse, like right now, most of our water comes from Lake, on well, all of our water comes from Lake Ontario through the Toronto Water centralized system and it works very efficiently and economically um but it's only one way so like if if something happened to that system god forbid um then that's kind of our only system so we're kind of uh in trouble but if we if we had different sources of water then you know that would be more resilient right so um so diversity is something that we can start thinking about as engineers, as as something important to incorporate into our design thinking. 
And then the sustainability side, was there some some um, enlightenment that, that emerged in, in, in that journey? Um, in terms of sustain, like sustainable thinking has been around for a long time. So I would say uh, I, did, I didn't really have too many surprises on that side okay. of it. Um, yeah, there's there's quite a lot of things we can do. And there's there's just a whole list of things we could do for you know, to deal with stormwater or to deal with um, uh, waste and so on. So I, I'd say I didn't, I didn't personally have any surprises on that end. I was more focused on resilience because that's a, a newer area. So you also won a film contest in 2019 uh, for your short film called People in My Neighborhood. It was uh, Toronto in 2030, sort of a forecast of the future. So what's in, what, what inspired you to create this film and what was the experience like? And maybe more importantly, since we're halfway to 2030, uh, what has actually come to fruition? Right. Yeah, so that was a film, my first film. And actually, I haven't made a film since. So, yeah, that was my only film. But um, it was actually, I made it like I think nine years ago. Okay. And uh, it was for the Transition Toronto Film Contest. So Transition Toronto is um, a group that's affiliated or um, inspired by the transition movement, which is around the world. And it was started in the UK um, by Rob Hopkins. And it's a movement that's all about how do we transition to a fossil fuel free future um, instead of like not doing anything and being forced to do it when it when it happens. So um, it's very community based. So it's it's really a fun and invigorating movement because it's all about community and what we can do locally and how we can have fun doing it. And yeah. um, so so around the world there's all these transition towns and so in toronto we have transition toronto and uh, we're a small group of people and um but actually i wasn't in the group when i did the film i was uh i was i was not in the group um but this film contest was open to anyone and so i was you know i really liked the transition town movement and so they were asking for people to make films about Toronto in 2030 after a successful transition away from fossil fuels because okay. they believe that if we're gonna get somewhere we need to have a vision we of what it will look like so you know it's very important to have that visualization so yeah so they did this film contest and you didn't have to have any film background and uh, we had um, a film director, uh, the director of End of Suburbia, which was uh, a big environmental film um, back, I forget when it was, when it came out, but it was a cool environmental film. So the director of that gave us uh, a quick lesson on filmmaking. <laughs> and then we had like, I don't know, two weeks or a month to come up with a film. And so... So I, I was running around Toronto filming this on my camera. And uh, yeah, I had a lot of fun. I enlisted a lot of friends 
to act in it and mm-hmm. and then yeah basically i t- i so in the in 2030 we had uh laneway houses all around toronto we have um green roofs growing food all over toronto mm-hmm. we have um composting in all the buildings um and i think it was actually sewage comp like composting toilets yeah we had composting toilets and everyone's wearing hats because it's hotter and and so everyone in the film is wearing hats um and what else was in the film um oh and then people were not flying as much and they were spending more time locally uh, with com- in community. <laughs> and so, yeah, so I'd say we've inched forwards on some of these things. Like uh, maybe not, maybe we're not quite where the, the film depicted, but I feel like there are things happening. Well, I mean, if you think about, you know, composting, uh, well, and there are, right, there are, uh, toilet composter systems out there so that's very possible and mm-hmm. you know it still might take some time to actually bring it into everybody's house but mm-hmm. and the yeah and definitely hotter than it was 10 years ago or nine years ago yeah <laughs> unfortunately maybe unfortunately from that uh, from that mm-hmm. uh, prediction mm-hmm. um, I wanted to ask you a little bit Mariko about you know sort of if there's a parallel spiritual journey in your sustainability journey, you know, like what is it about you that that brought you here? And you talked a little bit about, you know, how you started, you know, being aware of the environment. You know, are there other elements about you and things that you'd like to share with the um, with the listeners around, you know, the connection to a sort of a spiritual path as well? Hmm. I do do a lot of spiritual searching and practice. And uh, yeah, it's one of my hobbies, I guess. And some one of the things that really guides me. Um, so actually, I've been doing mindfulness meditation for maybe 15 years. And that sort of found its way in my book because my book is about creating this awareness. So like I was talking about, you know, where our water comes from and that we're 60% Lake Ontario. Um, And the idea of putting up a sign by your tap saying, this is Lake Ontario water. um, That's sort of informed by mindfulness meditation. I have to give credit to to that. Um, Because it's about connection uh interbeing and interconnection with the with the world and how we're all like in us we have water we have earth you know um we have air and we can't survive without the environment um yeah so so that's definitely a big part of it um and then uh nowadays i'm thinking a lot about faith um, and how, well, one thing I realized is we don't, which I think is an important lesson is that I'm not in control. Right. Um, because, uh, yeah, sometimes you want things to be different. You want people to do stuff or whatever. Um, 
you want things to be different, but you know, like I'm not in control and I don't know the big picture. All I can do is do what I'm doing and have faith. It's interesting though, too, because if you, if you talk about sort of that, that approach to spiritual, uh, to the spiritual journey, you know, I mean, there's the, the notion of being present, right? And you speak about being present and aware of what's happening in the moment. And then, you know, the history of, or the, the memories of the past and the anxieties, hopes and dreams of the future. All right. So really, in a way, I think in, in my view, you've laid out some foundational information for, you know, the community, our youth and those that are interested in that connection to nature but also setting a bit of a vision for what the future might look like, like in your messaging around your, you know, the film that you produce, the short film. So you need to have all of those elements there. But yeah, it's it's interesting that you describe it as even though you're trying to move the needle in a direction, how much control do you really have? How much control do I really have? But I think it's important that we still keep pushing against that rock or keep pushing some you know, something forward. How do you feel about sort of all those elements of, you know, that spiritual perspective and where you lie in it? Yeah, I was listening to the CBC yesterday and it was, or a day ago, maybe two days ago, it was Wade, what's it, Wade Davis? He He's an anthropologist and he, um, he's gone all around the world uh, living and uh, documenting indigenous culture. Okay. And he was saying something like, well, what I got from what he was saying is that like we, if, well, if you look at the whole world and then you think, oh, you know, uh, you just want to give up or you feel hopeless, I guess. Yeah, Yeah. Like indigenous cultures are disappearing or, you know, just like if you get kind of caught into the, like looking at the overall and thinking we're doomed, then it's, it's not a good place to be. It's, um, but uh, I think he, what he was saying is that you can't really know where the whole world is going. Um, you can only do what you're doing and keep doing what you're doing, what you believe in. Right. So in a way, it doesn't really matter what is going to happen in the end. Uh, what matters is what what you do, and that you keep you keep at it <laughs> and keep doing positive things or what you think is positive and not being too concerned about the overall like you you can of course you're concerned but not getting caught up in the overall result right right but just doing what you can do and uh that's the best we can do and uh and and that's actually a good thing to do to do small things <laughs> just keep moving just try and keep moving forward right yeah so um yeah so i i i have i don't know i keep i keep doing things that yeah i i feel feel that i want to do and it it keeps me going and yeah well so maybe because you've you know, you've um, seen a lot of transition as you're moving through your career, as you're moving through your experience in education. Are there any words that you want to share with, say, you know, young, uh, you know, the students of society or young graduates or even people early in their careers? Any advice, words of wisdom that you'd want to share based on your journey, your experience? 
What I always say is follow your heart. <laughs> mm. And because it's actually worked for me. Um, like whatever I studied, I was like, okay, do I really want to study this? Do I really need to know this stuff to do what I want to do? And um, sometimes, well, and, and I, I feel like if, if you're hundred percent committed, then, you know, it, it's good. And um, so I always, I always kind of followed my heart and sometimes I've quit things that seem like other people would say, no, don't quit that. Or <laughs> a lot of times mm-hmm. people said, no, you know, do, don't do that or whatever. And, but I did it anyways. Yeah. <laughs> Cause yeah. I followed my heart and um, of course I lost certain things, but um, overall, yeah, I've kind of done my own, I've, I've kind of created my own path by following my heart. And uh, I think it's worked. So when young people ask me, oh, should I do this or should I do that? And I, then I, I kind of just say, yeah, do what you want to do. Don't worry too much about if you'll get a job or not. <laughs> yeah. uh, because you'll, if you follow your heart, you will, um, like you will succeed or or anyways it's it's your it's the life it's your life and you might as well follow your heart you know so um i guess i that's what i usually say because i think it makes life more colorful and fulfilling yeah yeah do you have any stories about those that have read your book and maybe fed back to you as to how they felt about it or how they experienced the book and its material? Um, Yeah, so one mother, she said that her son, he sounded like he was maybe, I don't know, I'm not sure exactly how old, but maybe four or so. Um, So he, he, they read the book together and then, but then she said sometimes afterwards, he'll, he'll he'll ask to look at it again and look at especially the toilet page (laughs) and he'll look at it and then he'll go to the washroom look at the toilet and then he'll come back look at the book wow and then look at the toilet and then and then nod it's like okay yeah i get it okay okay (laughs) i got it we can put the book back on the shelf (laughs) yeah 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 that's amazing I had another a father say that um, his toddler, who's still in a crib, so he they read the book at nap time, but then the kid goes in his crib and just keeps yelling Ashbridge's Bay treatment plant, Ashbridge's Bay <laughs> treatment plant over and over again, and doesn't wow. take his nap. <laughs> so it was kind of funny, um, yeah. And then there's a cat in the book, so some. Um, and the cat is on most of the pages so like really little kids like following the cat you know um but uh yeah so some kids um seem to like it so that that sounds like some you're making some uh, some community changes right from the uh, from the youngest of uh, participants here right but i actually wrote the book for adults too because okay. A lot of adults don't know the information in the book. So um, although it looks like a kid's picture book, Mm -hmm. yeah, it can totally be read by an adult. And an adult could read it in half an hour and know 
you know, where it all comes from and where it all goes. Um, so it's like an efficient, quick way for people to make themselves more aware of these things. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and, and like there's footnotes and uh, the maps are good references. So like for adults, it could be like a reference book. Yeah. And I had one university prof in landscape architecture, you know, she looked at my book and she, she bought it and she said, oh, this sums up my course in one book. <laughs> so like, yeah, so it is like a kid's book, but, you know, adults can read it too. And we do need adults to read it as well because we can't just wait for the kids to grow up. Like it's not a matter of just educating the future generation, but like we have to do a lot of green transformations now. Yes. And so the more people that we can get to have um, like kind of environmental literacy and infrastructure literacy, yes, the better. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it makes sense. Well, and you know, it's it's never you know it, the time is ticking, right? So the sooner that the book is is you know that information in your book and other information that's out there, it's all very very important. I want to ask you, Mariko, uh, if you had something to share, what would your call to action be for the listening community? Um, yeah, I would say um, to maybe ask yourself and ask your friends and bring it up in conversation, like whether they know, you know, where their water comes from or where their sewage goes or where their garbage goes. Um, uh, what happens when it rains? Where does all that rainwater go um mm. i've been at parties a lot and i end up talking about sewage a lot at parties <laughs> and it's kind of funny but um yeah people are interested and they're like oh wow i didn't know that and um so that's one thing and then you know you could research on the city website a lot of the information can be found there um you could get my book which kind of summarizes it all in in one package um, and then, you know, you could put up signs like if you're if you have if you have kids or even if you don't have kids, you know, you could put up a sign at your tap saying this comes from Lake Ontario. Um, Create a moment of awareness, a moment yeah. of presence. Yeah. 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 And then, you know, for your toilet, you could say this goes to. So there's four sewage treatment plants in Toronto. And in my book, I have a map that has um, sewer sheds shown. So it shows you which areas are served by which sewage treatment plant. So yeah. you can figure out exactly which sewage treatment plant your poop is going to. <laughs> <laughs> so you could put up a sign uh, at your toilet saying this is going to, you know, Ashbridge's based treatment plant or wherever. Yeah. And so then you can create this kind of awareness. Yeah, as you're using your water, like, oh, you can imagine it coming from the lake, being treated and then being pumped through pipes all the way to your tap and coming to you so so you can kind of create a meditation moment or a mindfulness moment and connect to nature like maybe you've been in the city all summer and you haven't been up north or wherever and you feel kind of like oh you know i've been out of touch with nature then you can turn on the tap and wash your hands and imagine hey that's this is lake ontario and and create that connection yeah that's excellent and maybe just to leave a little bit of information about yourself you know you have a website how can people get a hold of you if they want to 
to uh, either talk with you or invite you to um, share your book or come and do a you know attend an event. So how can people get a hold of you? Oh yeah, sure. So my website is www.ecomarico.com. So that's www.ecomarico.com. And uh, if they're interested in the book, they can look at it there um, uh, and order a hard copy. Um, and yeah, feel free to email me. Um, my email is also on the website. Um, if they want to reach out about, you know, if they've bought the book and want to have questions, they can always email me. Um, if they want me to come speak at an event or participate in, in something that they're doing, I'm happy to um, connect with them. And if they have ideas or feedback for me too, that would be great. Um, and uh, I'm going to be at um, Evergreen Brickworks at their Sunday Artisan Market on October 4th and November 1st. So I'm going to be there in person selling my book. And uh, I'm going to be at The Word on the Street September 26th to 27th, which is virtual this year. And I'm going to be at the Eco Fair at the Barnes, which is actually just called the Eco Fair this year. And it's October 15th to November 8th. So it's an extended period. Um, that's virtual. Um, and then Canzine, which is a zine festival, is going to be October 24th, 26th. And that is online as well. Um, so I'll be there. So, um, yeah. And... Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to continue being out there. But yeah, a lot of events are virtual. But, um, but I'm getting I'm learning new platforms and stuff. And it's kind of interesting and fun. Excellent. Well, Mariko, thank you so much for sharing your story and your book and how you got here. And I really appreciate the time you spent with us today. And with that, I'm going to say goodbye to you. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it.